Jim, Chet, returning your call. Sorry I missed you, but I appreciate you calling back. And if you call again and I'm not in, just leave your message and I'll get back to you. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And this time we are going to our least covered season. Uh, we, mm. we did a little analysis based on updating the 200 a day Rockford Files files, which is our spreadsheet <laughs> of info and ephemera that's accessible to our Patreon backers. Um, and we have not done too many season five episodes. So uh, I decided to skim through what's available and go with uh, one of our good friends that we haven't seen quite as much of recently. A Dennis Becker episode. Uh, so this is yeah. season five, episode five, Kill the Messenger. This is such a good Dennis Becker episode, too. This is, yeah. It's kind of the Dennis Becker episode. Yeah. Right? Like, there's <laughs> there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it would be a trilogy, but there's a little bit of a series of kind of the life and times of Dennis Becker. And I think, yeah. arguably, the Farnsworth stratagem might be the first one of those which we covered way back when at this point. But there's also an episode called The Becker Connection that's all about him and some, you know, some some difficult case. And there's also the one where he... Oh, it's not really about Becker. There's the one where there's the crooked cops with the... Where Jim knows the this cop's mom. And she's oh, yeah. like, like, a, like a Golden Age era kind of actress. Uh, yeah. The Four Pound Brick, I think, is that yeah. one? That's the uh, Lee Brackett one. Anyway, uh, there are a couple episodes that are kind of like tracking Dennis's career. And this one, um, Kill the Messenger, is a pivotal uh, episode in that, which is interesting uh, on the meta level, just because we've, we've, uh, I feel like way back, we talked a little bit about how one of the things we appreciate about the Rockford Files is how it has this kind of development of character arcs or character ness character development if you will but it doesn't have story arcs like it doesn't have a meta plot it's not yeah that kind of show you'll you'll never have an episode where it's just catching you up with the characters like this episode might be the closest it ever gets to that it's not that there's these long dramatic narrative arcs you know a la mad men or whatever uh yeah but the characters do progress in their lives and so yeah. this is kind of a big milestone in the life of Dennis Becker at the heart of this episode. Uh-huh. This was uh, written by Juanita Bartlett. Yay. Her episodes are, are some of my favorites. Um, she is the executive story consultant during this season. Uh, and then I believe in the next season, she kind of moves into a full producer role. And then the director for this one is Ivan Dixon, who we have talked about a little bit before. He directed the Mayor's Committee from Deerlick Falls, which was our episode yes. 36. I went into his background a little bit in that episode, but he's notable both for his TV direction career. He was also in Hogan's Heroes. Uh, he was uh, uh, Kinchlow. I haven't watched Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> I have not since I was a child and did not understand what it was about. <laughs> he, so he started out acting, moved into directing, and he kind of uh, became a activist uh, in, in kind of fighting against racial stereotypes in casting and uh, movie roles for, for African-Americans uh, throughout his career. So <clears throat> this is one of those where there's like one shot that I really enjoyed uh, in the episode. 
but overall it's a pretty you know it's good it's solid it's fast paced it kind of keeps keeps everything moving any other initial framing thoughts before you tell us all about the preview montage (laughs) uh like we've said this is a good dennis episode i love a good dennis one of the things that i guess we'll talk about when we get into the episode one of the things that i kind of like about it is how it's two stories uh this this is kind Mm. of a nice one where dennis gets almost as much screen time as jim does maybe more i don't know Mm -hmm. i wasn't keeping track of it while i was watching it 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 had not occurred to me until later that uh as i looked back on the episode and thought about it i kept thinking about the things that dennis was doing as he was moving along in this plot line and um it generally wasn't him hanging out with rockford (laughs) it was uh rockford off doing his thing trying to help dennis and then dennis off doing his thing i guess in some ways it reminds me of the first episode of gear jammer Mm -hmm. you see rocky's life and you see rocky living a life separate from jim and this is kind of got uh the same thing going on yeah but should i talk about that preview montage yeah yeah because uh it's got my favorite maybe my favorite quote from the show there's some good quotes in this uh but dennis almost in tears talking about his case and it's about he's he's saying that it's the deputy chief town wife and jim saying and that's your hot potato <laughs> oh i love the dialogue of this thing uh the, the my notes say here captain crunch mm-hmm. which i mean come on it's it's not that i've seen captain crunch before or will ever see captain crunch again on this show it's just you know a nice shout out to a breakfast hero mascot <laughs> uh then i have dennis then i have angel but angel's not in the montage he's just mentioned in the montage yeah. and that is such a tease <laughs> uh and then rocky and then uh i have the car chase down here but now that i think about it they like they threw a car chase in the montage but this really isn't a car chasey kind of no. episode it's the and they do this a lot in the preview montage where they end it with a car doing something and free and they freeze frame as like yeah. everyone's looking terrified behind the windshield. And, you know, I think that's just to, to be like, there's going to be some dramatic action, which sometimes is true. <laughs> and sometimes is a bit of a, uh, a bit of a letdown. Not that there isn't dramatic action in this one, but it's character drama. No. It's not like life and limb uh, drama, really. Although, I mean, when we do get to that, that moment in the car, uh, Rockford's bold, bold move, it may be tense up. every muscle of my body was like oh no don't do that 200 a day is supported by all of our listeners but especially our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day patrons get to add to the 200 a day rockford files files help us pick which episodes to cover and more each episode we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons this time we say thank you to jim crocker in addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at cons east of the Mississippi on behalf of Indie Press Revolution. Follow along on Twitter at IPR Tweets. Shane Lieblin. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll For Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Mike Gillis, host of the Radio vs. the Martians podcast, the McLaughlin Group for Nerds. They remain at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Kevin Lovecraft, part of the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars Actual Play Podcast, found at MisdirectedMark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Chris, and Dave P. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter at Richard Haddam. Check out Patreon.com slash 200 today and see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. Speaking of cars, we do start this episode off with a cop car sirens on 
coming into the parking lot of a grocery store. This this car has been sitting there all night, so it being a very wholesome uh 1970s kind of kind of world, uh the day manager called because there's also a weird smell. Yeah. I think it was all weekend actually. Oh yeah. It was like Friday night the car they noticed the car Friday night and then it was still there on Monday or something mm. like that. Mhm. This is all to set up uh these two beat cops coming in. They run the plates and that's the first bad news because the car is registered to Deputy Chief Eugene Town, uh the Deputy Chief of Police. Yeah. I like how they have a little exchange. There's a lot of very like procedural business in the sense of this is how the job works not really in the sense of like babble in this episode so like one of them just mentions like well that's probable cause (laughs) so yeah (laughs) they force the trunk and there is in fact a woman's body curled up in the trunk bad news uh i was gonna say i think actually a lot of that uh probable cause uh the dialogue about you know here's the next stop of the process i think a lot of that in this is about people trying to convey that the that people are hesitant once they know the mm. deputy chief is involved right like yeah it's the deputy chief well this is what we have to do none of us want to be here none of us want mm. to know to see what happens next we all know where this is going but we got to do it so of course we cut from there straight to the police station officer billings is helping dennis becker cram for his lieutenant exam um with a a great rundown oh. uh to set this all up where he's going through all the different stages of the appropriate use of force too relevant to our time yeah the best part about this is that there's a guy in their office in handcuffs who's clearly you know a a, a perp of some kind who yeah. starts feeding <laughs> becker answers and like answering the questions before he can uh just showing off a how experienced a criminal he is and be yes. heightening Becker's discomfort. He's clearly stressed. That's the big thing about this yeah. episode. Dennis is very stressed. So having this guy uh, sass him is not helping his mood. And then he literally runs into Lieutenant Chapman in the doorway, who places a literal figurative last straw, uh, places a case file on top of his big right. stack of yep. books. So Dennis drops everything. So when Dennis picks it up, he opens it, and we get a shot of the name Eileen Town, the wife of the uh, deputy chief, and Dennis's face just going, oh, no. Put upon Dennis in my notes here. I love that perp. Uh, that <laughs> character is great, showing that yeah, he, he could have been a lieutenant, too, if he wanted to. <laughs> That's no problem. He's an expert in the use of force. Yeah. So uh, there's actually a freeze frame there on Dennis's face. I was trying to decide if that was an intentional freeze frame or if that was just, we need to hold it for just a little bit longer before we go to the next, you know, we just don't have the footage, so let's freeze it there. But it is a little weird. There's a lot of little moments in this one where I think they, you know, kind of spruced it up in the editing room. Like, there's some voiceovers that don't quite match the audio over, like, panning shots that don't have anything to do with, (laughs) with the scene. To kind of stitch a couple things together. Yeah, the the voiceover that is, is ostensibly dialogue, but is just telling the audience what's happening. Yeah, we go to the Becker household. Of course, Dennis is there, but we get uh, the appearance uh, after a long gap on our show. I think probably not since um, the Farnsworth stratagem of Dennis's wife, Peggy. 
as well as uh, Jim. Yeah. Jim and Dennis are moving furniture around because they're apparently having some friends coming over soon, the McGowans. Yeah. And there is a lot of business here about nicknames, which is hilarious, but also <laughs> not important at all. The one thing I wanted to pull out of this was that uh, there's something about one of the kids, his name is something else, but they call him Scott. And Jim always thought that that was because yeah, Jim's uh, middle name, because he's James Scott Rockford. Uh, and it's, it's not, it's because of something else, but Dennis never told Jim that, and Jim has been signing cards like, to my namesake, Scott. <laughs> I love that we, we get all this with the kids, and a little bit later we'll get the kids, and, you know, they're sh- Yes. <laughs> they're, they're the worst. In my notes for the kids, I have, these are monsters. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. So there's this whole thing with the McGowans. I think we should, we should just talk about whatever we have to say about this now, because it's not yeah. very important, except there is a story reason right so they have these guests coming over and that is one of the elements that is stressing out dennis that they're going to have these like people coming over and these kids and he's going to be expected to do things like give them a ride in the squad car and try to get them a tour of universal studios right that's an ongoing uh motif in this episode where um everybody like so this is the case with dennis dennis has a case that he has to solve he's got um the lieutenant's exam that he's always had trouble with uh, coming up. And then he's got the, the McGowans coming over uh, to visit. And then Dennis's partner in all this, uh, Frank, uh, is this his only episode? We haven't gotten to him yet, but like he's got outside stuff as mm-hmm. well. He's got a pregnant wife that he has to uh, both worry about and depend upon. <laughs> right. I, I just, I like that thing that this, it's this busyness and piling up of all of the stress uh, that brings Dennis to these points, as we're about to see in this scene here. There's this great Dennis meltdown right. that we're on the verge of. A very relatable thing of, I've got my work stress, and then I've got my other work stress, and then i got my home life stress, and it's yeah. all like... Right, it's all coming to a head. Yeah. yeah, and nobody else sees all of the facets, so they're all just worried about the part that they're worried about. Right, and yeah, so this thing with the McGowans is its role is to be that extra point of stress for Dennis. It doesn't matter to the plot, and it doesn't really come up other than in there's another scene with the kids. Um, as you say, Dennis has this meltdown. It's triggered because he's he's asking Jim to spot check him on questions for the lieutenant exam yeah while they're moving stuff around in the house right and then jim goes starts asking him uh questions from the homicide area and dennis doesn't want to talk about the homicide stuff he knows homicide he's only been working it for eight years um (laughs) and you can see both jim and peggy being like this is weird (laughs) yeah what's going on here Certainly, a, a lot of the stuff in this episode with 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 Dennis are big acting moments, right? Yeah, this is a a, a big um, Joe Santos gets to really dig his teeth into some uh, some some acting stuff. So that's most of what the scene is, where he's just escalating and winding himself up more and more, and then he hits his breaking yeah, point, yeah. and then he like sags down on the couch and tells them that all the stress is because of this case. Um, it's the deputy chief's wife. This poor middle-aged lady worked as a probation officer downtown, and she was beaten to death. I think he's both kind of horrified, you know, like, it is a sad thing. That is very sad. 
And also, I think he's personally like, this is someone I kind of know. Right. And he knows homicide. He's only been working it for how many years? So he knows that not only is the deputy chief a suspect, but he's the prime suspect. And Mm -hmm. like, there's all sorts of bad news around that. (laughs) You know, like, he's got to investigate his boss, uh, somebody who has power over him uh, when it comes to his own career uh, path that he's like at the threshold of right now. And it could be entirely impossible for him to have get justice for this woman. Right. If the deputy chief is guilty and decides that he doesn't want to be guilty about it, what's Dennis going to do with that? Like, how is Dennis going to change any of that? Yeah. And, and Jim points out, you know, that he's going to need to ask a lot of hard questions, a lot of personal questions, yeah. right? Uh, Dennis leaves to get some coffee so that uh, we have a little bit with Peggy and Jim. She's clearly, you know, worried about Dennis, but she's also worried because she's seen him work so hard for this lieutenant exam. He's really been tying himself in knots to really prepare this time because he's done it multiple times before and he's never passed to make yeah. the grade, right? And so Jim uh, tells tells Peggy that he'll ask around. Maybe he can make it easier, dig up something that'll make it easier for him, um, you know, help him out somehow with his investigation. So that gets jim rockford uh on the case it puts it in that category of episode where it's jim helping his friends out mm-hmm. which is uh a subset of that category of episode where there's no chance of jim making any money mm-hmm. but this episode really isn't about jim so i don't feel too bad no um jim's first uh, uh gambit here we see that he's clearly in a role as he puts some big oh. uh, honking glasses on yes. in a suit with a briefcase to go into the uh, the corrections uh, parole department. You know, as we find out where um, where Eileen, the the dead woman, worked. And his line here is that he's from the comptroller's office, uh, and so he's doing yeah. an audit. Basically, he mentions a proposition like Prop Thirteen or something. Uh, so I assume that's referencing a you know of the time current event yeah proposition that passed about not wasting government funds or whatever and we get a couple good like memorable uh in passing characters here first of all the secretary who's smoking the cigarette the entire time yeah the way she is like on the phone it's this great like she calls back to her boss on the phone and you get her side of it you just get state local federal i don't know (laughs) this this place is primed for Jim to just walk in like he he belongs there mm-hmm. and just do whatever he needs to do. Yeah, they, they're so used to people picking over everything they do that they're it's like yeah okay whatever. Yeah, but yeah, she's great. She's a great character. Her attitude is such that I kept expecting her to call Jim on his bullshit. Yeah, I think she played it as I know that this guy is full of it, but I do not care enough to get in his way. Yeah, like I'm not getting paid enough to try and diffuse whatever situation is happening um but yes her boss comes out uh he is worried because their budget's already cut to the bone jim kind of talks him around to the staffing and basically uh eileen since she was murdered they have to redistribute her cases but he was planning to do that anyway because he was going to fire her she was going to be fired uh because she had been going out with some of the perps and that the latest was captain crunch (laughs) ah <laughs> oh, so good so jim gets this information uh he continues playing out his role as this like controller person he leaves and we have a intentional shot seeing some guy see him leave get up out of a chair and follow him out yeah 
So uh, I have a brief digression here. When they talk about Captain Crunch, they they mention that he uh, ripped off Ma Bell. Right. So this is a reference to the the activity known as phone freaking. Uh, fans of the movie <laughs> Hackers may remember uh, that uh, one of the characters being a phone freak from that. Um, that's one of those like off kilter details that's very like of the time and yeah makes me appreciate how they kind of reach outside the standard procedural box for like things to put in these episodes. But I wanted to kind of see what the state of of this was at the time. Turns out Captain Crunch is referring to an actual person. What? People who are big up on the history of computing may may have already recognized this. But yeah, there's a guy who was known as Captain Crunch or Crunch Man, uh, who is a legendary phone freak. And he was profiled in uh, an Esquire article in 1971. So this is something that would have been probably yeah. known to Juanita Bartlett and people who pay attention to such things. So the deal with phone freaking, right, is that at the time, uh, you can imitate the signal frequency that the telephone line uses to make a long distance call. So you can trick the, you know, trick the phone company into thinking that you've dialed long distance and paid for it when you haven't, among other things. But like, that's kind of the core. That's what people did. And so this I did not know. Uh, So this guy, so his name's John Draper. He became known as Captain Crunch because as it so happens, Captain Crunch cereal had a toy that came in one of their cereal boxes that was a whistle that happened to reproduce the frequency of the AT&T long distance lines. So you could blow into this whistle into the phone and trick it into making your long distance call for you. That's amazing. That That is, oh, what a wonderful world we lived in. <laughs> Yeah, so apparently after 1980, the phone system changed so that this particular thing doesn't work anymore, or didn't work anymore. Or so they say. Or so they say. But, uh, yeah. So he was kind of one of the this kind of notorious generation of, I mean, he's essentially a hacker, right? He actually went on to work for Apple, served some, some prison for phone fraud, uh, but then ended up writing Easy Writer, which was like the first word Apple word processor. Oh, so he works some stuff with Apple. He also worked for Autodesk, apparently, which is the company that does AutoCAD, which is the drafting software for, you know, engineers and architects and whatnot. So just scrolling through this guy's, you know, Wikipedia bio, it's like, wow, this is a significant figure in the history of computing. Also, apparently being name checked in the Rockford Files in 1978 (laughs) uh, with this character, Captain Crunch. So there's your fun fact for the day. That is as a complete delight. because I, I did not expect any of that. And I had just assumed uh, that Captain Crunch was not a reference to the serial, but somehow a reference to, you know, like, it seems like an enforcer's name, right? Yeah. Like uh, Private Punch or <laughs> uh, that was a really bad one. Major Distress. Sergeant Slaughter, if you will. Right. Yeah. It wasn't until you got started on that whole digression when you said that he ripped off Ma Bell. I was like, what the hell is a. <laughs> <laughs> bruiser like Captain Crunch doing ripping off Mob Bell. But it turns out it is the serial. Right. It's a reference to the serial. <laughs> I mean when we see him, it's not like he's a bruiser. So Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. There's a bit here that's a, that's coming up that I got a little confused on. But let, when we get to it I'll ask you about it. But it has to do with him. Okay. Uh there there is no no element of uh hacking the phone lines is involved in this episode. It's just like yeah. that's what this guy happens to have been arrested for and why he's on parole. 
So uh, Jim is followed out of the parole office by someone. Um, and we actually go to Rocky's place where Jim is rummaging around looking for his dry cleaning ticket. He starts getting all stressed out about this seemingly innocuous thing. It's a mirror of Dennis's earlier kind of freak out. Yeah. Uh, of course, he wants to find the ticket because he had two sport coats, good shirts, and he thinks a cashmere sweater. <laughs> Doesn't want to lose those. I mean, I listed those because I was sure he was going to lose them and I would have to, as his accountant. Right. So so Rocky's like, why are you freaking out about this? It's just dry cleaning. And so Jim, yeah. he doesn't know how to tell Dennis that yeah. the deputy chief's wife was having an affair or possibly multiple affairs. His whole goal here was to make it easier for Dennis. But the first thing he did turned over a rock with, you know, a bunch of worms underneath, right? It's only going to make his job harder. Jim is getting stressed out because now he's not helping his friend the way he wanted to. So we get to see see that. I wrote, in, again, in my notes that this, this case is, is a communicable disease. Yeah. No matter who it touches, if you get involved in it, you're like, oh, God, now I've got it, whatever this is. Um, and so he says that he's going to wait to tell Dennis until after he takes lieutenant exam. So at least he doesn't have this to worry about while he's doing that. So apparently he did find the ticket because we go to him picking up his dry cleaning and there are a couple of dudes sitting on the hood of the Firebird and they start messing with him when he comes out. One of them pulls the windshield wiper off, which is yes. awfully mean. They start pulling off the rearview windows and such. Uh, Jim tries to, to, to jump them, uh, but there's two on one and they start beating him up and basically and, and warning him off. St- stay out of it. Then they, they run off when the proprietor of the dry cleaning place comes out and, and starts yelling so this is this is my question then. did we see them follow him here because the bit about the dry cleaning ticket did captain crunch grab that from him did that fall from his pocket and i missed it <laughs> you know that would be a good way for them to know that he was here like i was wondering if that was if the intent was to say he accidentally revealed where he was going to be next and that's how they found him or so he catches up to captain crunch eventually um and in the scene where they're talking this gets explained kind of it's the guy who followed him out who we don't see again he's just like some someone yeah oh that's right that's not captain crunch followed him out right that's yeah. like someone else but he's someone who recognized the name and knows who Jim is or something. He's like a mutual. Yeah. He refers to him as a, as a mutual friend. And the, the younger guy who kind of mouths off to Jim, uh, he, eventually he's called Bandit. But so, so this guy hears that Captain Crunch is going to be in trouble and went to Bandit to warn Rockford off on behalf of his friend. Yeah. Okay, it's unclear yeah. whether it's that or whether he just says that that's it, but he actually sent the guy. Um, but that's the connection that's drawn in the dialogue later. It it seems a little unnecessarily convoluted. Yeah. Uh, but it is met, it it is referenced later. It was one of those things where uh, I thought I was being inattentive, and I probably was. Uh, but I I filled in the gap the wrong way is what happened. I think it would have made more sense, just in the sense of cut cutting kind of an unnecessarily logical leap out, if the guy Bandit had been the one who followed Jim out and then just followed him there or whatever, yeah. right? Like, there's this third party who we never see again, who we only see for a brief moment, and that's the person who, like, put this all into motion. It's a little over-convoluted for the, the story beat of Jim gets beat up to warn him off the track. Yeah, <laughs> not just Jim, though. I mean, I think we need to acknowledge the other victim, the Firebird. Mm, mm, true. I really expected Jim to whip that guy with the windshield wiper. 
<laughs> so many people were at their wits end in this episode that I just expected Jim to go nuts on this guy. Uh, but that did not, that was not the case. Um, Jim calls Peggy trying to get to Dennis. He's still taking his exam. There's some business about the McGowans are stuck in Palmdale. But he tells her that he found out about this affair and that Dennis does need to know about it. So if she can give Dennis the message next time she talks to him so that he knows because uh, Dennis is taking his taking his written exam. So he gets out of that and we see him uh, meeting up with his partner on this case, Frank Dusenberg, who we mentioned earlier. Um, so the bit here. So he's younger. He's clearly the junior in this partnership. Yeah. And Dennis wants to know, so how's the investigation going? <laughs> Did you show the picture <laughs> around? And it turns out that Frank eh, hasn't had a chance to do that yet because his wife was having some kind of pains and they're doing this whole Lamaze thing that yeah. means they're both involved. So he had to go home uh, and nothing's been done yet. And so this kicks off this whole motif of the investigation hasn't happened yet, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, there's there's so much reluctance to actually investigate this that this becomes a, a, a motif over the this middle act of the of the episode. I just I love this illustration of procrastination without it <laughs> being like a slacker thing, right? Like mm. every one of them has all these concerns. I think there's a clear implication that Frank is leaning on the fact that his wife is pregnant. Oh yeah. There's like a payoff for that near the end. But like with Dennis this is the third or the fourth time he's gone for his lieutenant's exam. It's something super important to him. But also, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I really identify with this. <laughs> because if there's something that I need to get done, and then there are dishes that need to be done, I will clean those dishes mm -hmm. before I do the thing I really need to get done. Uh, and I'm not even trying to investigate the chief of police, or the deputy police chief, uh, for the murder of his own wife. Yeah, I just love this kind of depiction of, uh, of procrastination as uh, a defense mechanism yeah. that's going on here. This is good stuff. Well, they do have to go to uh, Deputy Chief Town's office because he wants to see them. Yeah. And so it's the two of them and Chapman in this guy's office, and he has a little monologue about he does not expect, nor does he want, any special treatment. He wants us to be you know, investigated like any other murder, right? And we get to see a lot of good Chapman sucking up here. Oh, man, it is. <laughs> wow. The, uh, that format of Chapman is sucking up and assuming that he's going to go one way with what he says. Mm -hmm. And he goes the other way and Chapman has to like hustle to, to sound like he meant that. And right. that was the smart way of doing it. it that sort of, uh, uh, bait and switch going on which I, I i do enjoy chapman thinks he's being you know a teacher's pet but really he's misapprehending yeah. the signals right yeah uh the chief has one one prerogative he wants to be copied on all the reports but there hasn't been a report filed yet because dennis has been bogged down with the lieutenant's exam and frank didn't do anything uh, this is this moment right like the when it happens, here's this guy whose wife has been killed, and he's in charge of the people that are going to investigate it, and the people who are going to investigate it have not done so, probably because he is a suspect, but, you know, they have other excuses, but those other excuses lose all of, like, as Dennis is trying to explain them, mm -hmm. you feel like, oh, God, no. Right, like, this does not sound like a good excuse. Yeah. Maybe, like, if you were, like, 
I didn't get your clothes back from the dry cleaner because mm-hmm. I was doing this. Yeah, but that's not what's like, happening. I haven't started investigating your wife's murder yet because I had to take a test. Yeah, exactly. And you, yeah, and you kind of see his face realize how yes. oh. dumb that sounds. And so Chapman's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll take them off the case. I'll put it, give it to someone who's going to be more professional or whatever. <laughs> but Town is like, no, no. He wants, he wants them to stay on the case. I don't think he really has a particular reason. No, like we're used to him now uh, contradicting Dennis, or not Dennis, but uh, Chapman's attempts at second guessing what he wants, yeah. right? Like, I think it just follows that model. So we're like, yeah, of course, he's not going to want Ch- what Chapman thinks he wants. He's going to go the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be at this point, because we're, uh, if we're not in the know, we're also suspicious of him and right. incompetent police work is exactly what he wants. Exactly. And I was going to say, this is a nice kind of subtle way of framing that where it's like, yeah. so far he's been set up as our main suspect and it would be in character for him if he did kill his own wife, right? To be like, no, yeah, put your most incompetent officers on it. That's what I want. Yeah. His, his excuse, I just remember now, what he says is, I don't want that special treatment. That's exactly the kind of special treatment he doesn't want. Right. Uh, they go back down to their office. Uh, Peggy calls and gets Dennis on the phone. The Palmdale thing is that he can't take a break from this case to drive to Palmdale because they broke down. Yeah. So that's another little, you know, that's the other stressor here still. Uh, he has to do this murder investigation. And then we're just hearing his side of it, but we clearly get to the part where she tells him what Jim said. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, no, that's impossible. That couldn't have happened. Tell Jim to stay out of it. Uh, what is he trying to do? Ruin me? So that knee-jerk response of Dennis being like, that is not something yeah. that I want to have be true. <laughs> um, we finish out this uh, this act uh, with Becker and Dusenberg getting on the case. They're going out to the, the scene of the, of the discovery, and they're talking about statistics. Before we go to the statistics... I have this in my notes, and I forget exactly where this happens, but Billings gets uh, status dropped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chapman, um, what is it? he says something like, if you don't solve this or whatever, you have about as much chance as becoming a lieutenant as, and then he looks over and sees Billings and goes, as he does, and that's it. Poor Billings. And his face just goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you have to say that? We all know yeah. that, but did you have to <laughs> yeah. say that? Yeah, that's right before Peggy calls. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, uh, statistically, Chief Town is the most likely suspect. Murder victims tend to be murdered by family and, and, uh, relations. Uh, so they're gonna have to question him, but they agree that they'll do it tomorrow. This is another pushing it down the road. Uh, they'll do other stuff and they'll question him tomorrow. Yeah, of course. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Sounds good. They start talking about what the possible motive could be. Uh, clearly this has been percolating in Dennis's mind. Yeah. And he brings up, well, or it could be adultery. Dennis is really leading, uh, Frank by the nose here. He's, 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 he's trying a little awkwardly to make Frank feel like Frank is connecting these dots. Mm -hmm. He's kind of trying to run a con on Frank, uh, and we can see it. And it's not altogether clear whether Frank can see it yet or not. Uh, or that they're both, they're not talking about the exact thing until it arises casually. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that's more it that they're kind of dancing around it. Because yeah. once Dennis brings it up, Frank's like, well, remember how they used to have these dinners for yeah. promising young officers and they stopped doing that like six or eight months ago? There are rumors that she was, as he says, making it 
with some of those promising yes. young officers. Now that has been said, I think Frank can kind of bring in this. It's a rumor, but it is relevant. Yeah. So Jim, still trying to help, he goes to La Cita Bar, gets a beer, and talks to the bartender, who I believe his name is Junior, asking whether he's seen Angel recently. And I, too, was like, oh, man, we're getting Angel in here? Yeah. But no, it's just this, uh, this inquiry. We do find out... I mean, Angel just loves chili. <laughs> like, As we know, yes. Because Angel hasn't been, hasn't been back to this bar since they stopped serving chili. Mm-hmm. But Jim mentions Captain Crunch, and Junior yeah. says, oh, well, he he comes in for the chili, too. Yes. And we get a good little bit of bribery business here where Jim asks questions, and Junior says, oh, I don't know. And then he gives him whatever it is, probably fives? Hard to tell what the bills were. Yeah, I'm guessing. Uh, what we do know is that they're clearly worth more than a beer. <laughs> yes, because uh, so so he learns that Captain Crunch is his government name. His real name is Nick, uh, Nick D'Onofrio, and he's staying at the Savoy Hotel. And then when Jim goes to leave, uh, hey, you haven't paid for that beer yet. <laughs> and then they laugh and laugh. This, this is great because Jim gets... He gets a, a pose, like he's going to get physical about it or something. Yeah. And uh, I just looked up the guy who plays Junior here, and um, he is a ex-NFL player. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like this, yes. This guy is huge. And Jim is like, what? And then he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. And they laugh about it. Like, no, you pay your beer. <laughs> It's like, you bribe me for information, and you give me money for the beer. Jim's a big guy, but he's not this guy big. His IMDB literally starts with, with plenty of height and built like an ox. <laughs> of course, Jim goes to the Savoy, and in the lobby sees one of the goons who beat him up, Bandit, and he sees Jim and yells like, hey, like, oh no, or something, and just like runs away. The guy he was talking to. It was on the stairs, and this is, in fact, Nick Captain Crunch D'Onofrio. Yeah. He has a cane. Um, He's all beat up. We kind of see in a later close-up that he still has, like, a big black eye and everything. Jim grabs him before he can go anywhere and basically uses the fact that he's in pain and has this cane that he needs to walk with to, to force him to stay and, and answer his questions. He just got out of the hospital. He says he did not send Bandit after Jim. So this is what I was talking about. He says that this mutual friend overheard at the parole office and told Bandit about it. And they're both trying to protect him, protect Nick. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, okay, sure. Um, he, needs his, he needs his pain pill. He needs his pain pill real bad. So Jim goes with him up to his apartment. Uh, he he kind of spills while he's rummaging around looking for his pain pill. He says that... Uh, Eileen Town came on to him. He didn't hit on her, so that's different. Uh, yeah, somehow, and they got together. Uh, okay, maybe a couple times, maybe a, <laughs> maybe half a dozen. Okay, ten or so. And Jim's just like, yeah, just logging with his face how like this is just getting worse and worse. Um, and says that he wasn't the only one that she was uh that she was going going around with. Not the only turkey she's making it with. While he's getting his uh, his his uh, pill, Jim picks up a fancy ashtray that has a big thing in the bottom for the Seder Hotel. And then at the window appears a wild, young Ed Harris with a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> My notes are, shotgun, I know that forehead. <laughs> this is one of Ed Harris's 
first uh, uh, roles on film. Uh, it is his fifth IMDb credit. So there you go. Launching careers, the Rockford Files. Uh, but yes, he has a shotgun. And I think uh, Jim asks Nick another question or something. And before he can answer, Ed Harris shoots him through the window with the shotgun. And then I think shoots kind of vaguely in Jim's direction and Jim ducked undercover. Yeah. And then he hightails it down a, the fire escape or whatever and uh, gets out of there before Jim can follow him. The plot thickens. Hi, everyone. Nathan here. As the show evolves in format, uh, Epi and I need to reconceive the value and manner of uh, this intermission break. Until we do that, I just wanted to make sure that you know where to find both of our other creative works. To catch up on what Epi is doing with the Worlds Without Masters zine, his uh, upcoming Lincoln Green game design project, and his upcoming Kickstarter for a game called Wolfspell, which is extremely cool, and if you like wolves, you'll want to check that out, go to worldswithoutmaster.com or at Epidiah on Twitter. The internet home of all of my work is at ndpdesign.com. That includes the Worldwide Wrestling Role-Playing Game, the Zine 2018 Project, all of my other games, projects, and my portfolio of freelance work. Um, I am also on Twitter at ndpaoletta. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And now, back to the show. He's not in uniform at this point, is he? No. Spoilers to our, our audience. He owns a uniform. Mm -hmm. Jim uh, tells Dennis what he learned. Dennis doesn't want to hear about it. Uh, I'm supposed to say that the the wife of the deputy chief was having an affair on the word of a convicted felon. (laughs) And this actually pays off again later. But Dennis is uh, throwing the fact that Jim uh, served time back in his face, which he very rarely does, right? Like, this is something that usually, you know, Chapman does or whatever. But Dennis is so aghast at this idea that he's just, like, rejecting Jim with whatever he can. That's it. I I thought that the convicted felon was a reference to Captain Crunch, though. Well, I thought because Captain Crunch is dead, so now it's because he's like, it's hearsay. Oh, right, right. He told you, but we're supposed to take... I mean, maybe he meant both, or maybe that is what he meant, and I'm just reading too much into it. (laughs) I mean, it works both ways. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But Jim does say, look, just check her out at the Seder Hotel. And he lays out his, his concept here, which is that, you know, Nick just got shot and, and she was seeing other people in addition to him. So someone didn't like that she was seeing Nick and beat him up and then went and beat her up, but didn't stop. Yeah. This is all taking place in the like staff room at the police station. Yes. <laughs> and there's this amazing moment where this other police officer comes in, goes over to the coffee machine. They all stop talking and Dennis just like awkwardly picks up a newspaper and then just like holds it. <laughs> Like, just standing here reading this newspaper, this officer pours a cup of coffee and then, like, looks around and sees the tension and then just puts it down and leaves. (laughs) Like, he doesn't even take it with him. Yeah, it's great. Like, all the little, like, he comes in, he puts the the quarter in the cup that is, you know, obviously there for, if you enjoy the coffee, then help buy another, you know, more coffee, right? Like, and, yeah, I don't even remember if he actually pours the cup or he picks it up as if he's going to pour and just is like this (laughs) like this is not a situation i want to be a part of he turns around and leaves it's it's a great piece of blocking blocking in kind of physical business it's it's really nice and and you know highlights how difficult it is for dennis because not only is he 
having to deal with his superiors here. This is all like it's a community, right? Like the police all gossip. Yeah, we already know that from Frank. Yeah. So yeah, because he keeps on having all these things where he starts bursting out and then realizing other people can hear him and needing to lower his voice and stuff. It's a great visual uh, moment. Um, after that guy leaves, Jim says, "Like, look, maybe town pressured some. He knows plenty of crooks, right? Like, he may he pressured someone into doing this hit for him. That could be the connection." But he does end by apologizing and saying he's sorry because he didn't want to bring this bad news to Dennis. Like, he doesn't want to make Dennis's life harder. But this is what happened. Yeah. These are the facts. Uh, so Dennis and Frank do go to the Seder Motel. And this is the a nice uh, shot here where you start. we start with the camera pointed at the mirror, the round mirror over the waterbed. And we see Frank and Dennis reflected in it. And then it pans down while they're talking. So we get the full view of the Love Motel decor as it rotates down. And we see Frank poking at it to to confirm that yes this is in fact a waterbed are waterbeds even a thing anymore i don't think so if anyone out there still has a waterbed yeah when i was a kid one of my friends had a waterbed we were like 10 that is where waterbed slots in my head like something you might get for your kid because they think it's like sounds really fun no it's that two spots right like it's the the kid that has one or it's just the swingers right (laughs) being an adult now because when i was a kid that was a thing like there was friends of our family that had a waterbed now as i say it i'm wondering (laughs) if they were a teen swinger but nonetheless we'll just put that aside that doesn't need unpacking right now that is nothing to do but i remember being excited and thinking when i grow up i'm going to own a waterbed Mm -hmm. even as like a teenager and in my early 20s i think i had friends that had waterbeds that like they were always dudes and they always had like Mm -hmm. the dark mahogany with the faux leather trim it seemed like a very masculine thing to have a waterbed i don't know why but as a grown adult, I couldn't imagine a more torturous way <laughs> to spend a night. It does not sound comfortable. Waking up that next morning and trying to get my stiff ass out of bed <laughs> would just be horrendous. See, it wouldn't work in my house because we have a dog who likes to dig into the, right. the sheets and that waterbed would be destroyed we would be flooding our apartment within two days. Just thinking about them and thinking about the massive amount of water you would have, just waiting, just all of that potential energy that mm-hmm. uh, of disaster. Just waiting to flood your house. You're a homeowner now. You Yeah, exactly. You, like, you feel the fear. What floor do you want to put this on? You put this on your top floor so that it, like, <laughs> it, it goes down through as many floors as possible as it tries to find ground level. Anyway, water beds. The the Seder Motel clearly doesn't have that concern. Um, this is a round waterbed, which makes more sense than than yeah, no corners square waterbed. Uh, with a, a delightful star in the middle. Mm-hmm. There's a certain vaguely satanic feel to this whole room that I think is intentional. There's that, and then Frank picks up. There's just like a VHS tape just like sitting somewhere. Yeah, and he picks it up, and on the spine, the label says uh, "Satan and Satin." <laughs> The business here is about, they, they say that uh, the manager identified Eileen's picture and Nick. Witness has put them together here multiple times. And Dennis is trying to figure out how to phrase this stuff in the report so it's not so it's not as bad as it seems, basically. And they 
mention maybe there's something on this on the close there, there's like a closed circuit tv and then they both look at it and go yeah <laughs> no that's they probably didn't do anything with that like we don't even want to know <laughs> what it would just be the the ultimate nightmare mm-hmm. for them to have to the deputy chief of police wife caught on film that they would have to then oh yeah no they're like we're not even going to try uh but they are definitely yeah. going to have to talk to the chief tomorrow 8 a.m sharp we're going to do it tomorrow i'm unclear whether yeah. this is the same tomorrow <laughs> as earlier or if we are now an additional day and they've just been pushing it off but I either think way it's additional day i think so too. yeah um the the humor in this episode is interesting so that scene is is humorous because they're kind of you know talking around right. what they're trying to talk about and like it's so this bed is so ridiculous and stuff but overall it's not a funny episode right so i feel like that's probably why this next scene exists just to like kind of right. cut the tension and give us like a, a counterpoint of humor because the next scene is the next morning. It's the station parking lot, and Dennis is doing donuts in the squad car with these uh, horrible <laughs> McGowan children because he promised to take them for a ride. Um, there's a bit about Little Den uh, earlier. They were talking about Little Den being so such a cute oh, yeah. name, and he, now he hates his name, and it's dumb. The kids are punching each other. They're saying being in the squad car in the parking lot's boring. They want a real ride. All the stuff that leads to my note of these kids are monsters. Yes. And we're just seeing Dennis be as like, this is the bare minimum of commitment that I have to do to do this before I get on to the really hard thing I'm going to need to do. Yeah. More of the stress stew for him. And then, of course, he gets inside. Frank is calling because he is going to be late, even though he promised you'd be there at 8 a.m. But on the phone, he says that his wife, Dory, is having some some trouble, some labor pains, and he needs to be there with her. And then the camera zooms out, and it is a total lie, because she's just yeah. making <laughs> breakfast while he's on the phone. He's giving her, he's, he's like, and, uh, two eggs. Two yeah. eggs, not one. Yeah, like, there's there's two things I love about this scene. Number one, that Dennis is so understanding about it. Yes, yeah. He's not demanding that, you know, he's like, oh, no, you're right. Yeah, you should be, like, it's it's of very, course. like. It's important, you, you should be with your wife, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, and then when he hangs up with Dennis, the whole time, I'm like, oh, what a douche. And then when he hangs up with Dennis, you can see he regrets it. Yeah. It just feels so good. He doesn't want to do this, but how else is he going to get out of this? Right. How is he going to keep from being in this incredibly awkward next scene? Yeah, because we go straight to the this meeting, Dennis meeting with, with Deputy Chief Town. Oh, can we, can we just talk about this opening dialogue it's so weird right like uh it is <laughs> it's so weird there is it's a lot of package talk yeah i okay the deputy chief of police town now town we should point out that the way town has been behaving in the few scenes that we've seen him in has been incredibly even tempered very by the book yeah his wife is has been beat up and left in a car uh, over a weekend and he's super suspicious in that he's not reacting in any emotional way right, right. like um and he's got i presume the package is uh a package of evidence yeah it's like the report it's like a big thick folder i think but what he says is i've been going through your package sergeant quite a package you don't mind me looking at your package do you <laughs> it's so and, weird <laughs> and i'm like is he coming on to Dennis? <laughs> like, what is happening here? I think that language just hasn't aged. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think it's supposed to be anything. But I noted that as well, because it's a weird way to phrase it. Like, packet would make more yeah. sense to me. Yeah. There's another line, a couple scenes down down here, where I think Frank says that Dennis is down City Hall South taking oral. Yes. Again, I know exactly what he's saying. Are they intending this to sound like this? Is this is it not aged well, like you said? Or I think our context has just changed so much that yeah, these things sound silly. Okay, I just want to like I just want to talk about it because there's, you can't talk about this scene without talking about those. Don't mind if I look at your package, do you? Is just a weird thing to say no matter what. <laughs> okay, all right. But this interview, okay, Joe Santos. I mean, this is this is one of my favorite performances. Like how he handles, the, like the the whole episode has been pointing at this, right? They've been mm-hmm. putting this interview off. They've been putting this interview off, and they've been telling you the weight of what's about to happen here. I don't know. I just I don't want it to go unappreciated. Yeah. Just how awkward but steadfast Dennis is in this scene. I I just think that this is an amazing bit of acting that goes on here. Yeah, I totally agree. This is where we see why Dennis is such a good cop. Yeah. And it's not anything about the actual dialogue or the plot of what's going on. It's all in his bearing and how you see him power through the anxiety to, like, do the job that he has to do. Yeah. Later in the episode, this is... I'm, I'm skipping around. Yeah. Uh... Deputy Police Chief Town describes this as tough and compassionate, a rare combination. Mm-hmm. And Joe Santos nails it, right? Like that's, yeah. come to think of it, that sort of Garner's thing too, right? Like that mm-hmm. is definitely a Rockford quality, uh, this tough but compassionate. Why are they friends, right? Like they yeah. have this in common, I think. They're just on different, yeah. you know, in different lanes of how they, what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to the, the Ed Robertson book, this is uh, reportedly uh, Joe Santos's favorite episode. And I think you can see why. <laughs> Makes sense. First of all, he gets the most screen time, but he gets a lot of just great character moments and he really gets to like be Dennis um, in a really compelling way. Well, Plot-wise, he does have to ask these questions to complete the investigation. She was gone for three days over the weekend. Why didn't he report his wife missing? Uh, He thought that she'd gone away to another house. She does that sometimes. And I think we get a little sense of, like, I don't ask where she goes, you know? Yeah. Then uh, Dennis introduces... I forget if he says or asks, but you must be aware or whatever that your wife was having an affair with her parolee blah 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 and this is where we finally get an emotional response from town he tries to like yeah kick him out and whatnot dennis uh quietly but firmly says that you know given the facts of the case he's gonna have to ask for town to account for his whereabouts over the weekend he's 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 asking the hard questions we get to that that point yeah great scene I have a thing in my note here, and uh, maybe you can help me with this. <laughs> I think this is Dennis's response to something uh, where it says, no, sir, I'm afraid it isn't. Oh, I think he says, like, your your investigation is over or this interview is over. Oh, and it's such such a Dennis line, too, because it is this, like, let me say this. It's not Columbo delivering that line. Right. You can see Columbo delivering that line, and he has all the control in the room. Mm-hmm. When Columbo says, no, sir, I'm afraid it isn't. Uh, well, Columbo would say, no, sir, there's just one more thing. Yeah. But like Dennis is not in control here, but he's keeping 
keeping it on track. No, we have to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just love it. I, I love it. Uh, a great moment for that character. I like, like my note right after that is all star Dennis. Yeah. Yay, Dennis. Yay, is Dennis. What I'm um, Jim is still trying to help out and he's back at the parole office. Uh, we get another good business with the uh, secretary where she doesn't think it's worth trying to stop him doing whatever he's doing, though clearly it's <laughs> a little weird. He's looking at the phone records for Mrs. Town, quote, for a full accounting, whatever that means. <laughs> and he sees that in the phone log, she got three calls in three minutes from Officer Kempner, uh, like the day before she disappeared yeah. or whatever. And he muses that uh, three calls in three minutes, she must have been hanging up on him. That sounds personal. And then the secretary's like, why do you need to know the records? Yeah. Personal calls on government time? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised you have to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's not falling for it. But again, I think it's the same thing you were saying before. It's above her pay grade. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Just keep going. Uh, and then we get this fun little, it's not really a con. I mean, it is. A, Rockford runs a, a little con, but it's kind of this yeah. uh, snowballing little narrative story to to get us to the to the climax um it's one of those things where it is obvious and um satisfying as this whole thing plays out so jim calls for dennis frank answers the phone because dennis isn't there jim runs this little con do you have the number for officer kempner we were talking about like some real estate thing and i got a call about it i wanted to talk to him and dennis gave me his number but i lost it so of course Frank gives him the number and his address, just in case he needs yeah. it. And then as soon as he hangs up, uh, Ed Harris, uh, Rudy Kempner, in, <laughs> in uniform, comes in to the room, uh, and Frank's like, hey, Rockford called about that deal deal in Bear Valley or whatever it is. And we have this very uh, ominous line of, you know, I gave him your number. I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's time me and Rockford got together. Yeah. So then this rolls into uh, Jim from Rocky's house calls rudy and pretends to be an insurance salesman to set up a meeting and rudy just goes with it because he obviously knows that it's jim putting on an act to try and get him to a place yeah so this all just like rolls together real smooth and i think from the the way the kind of body language and facial language i think we see that rudy knows what he's doing jim does not realize that he's being suckered in even though it's like the easiest con job he's ever he's ever done yeah 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 it's too easy right like it's too easy but um rudy is wonderfully cast right here's a person it doesn't take much for ed harris to be menacing right (laughs) he just does it and there he is a menacing ed harris we we cut from there to dennis at the other big drama of the episode he's taking his oral um (laughs) facing his his oral board uh for the lieutenant exam and town is there he's not part of the board but he's present this is the other side of the dennis coin from his professional gotta do it version because as he says right he has this tendency to like freeze up in these oral exams where everyone's like staring at him and expecting him to say things and they're like do you think that's a good tendency in a in an officer to freeze up um but it's very clearly in this exam right like yeah he does well on the written uh it's just like this thing and then the examiner you know he's taken the exam multiple times he's never made it and frankly it's his association with ex-cons and specifically jim rockford that is tainting his yes his record and dragging him down poor dennis dagger in the heart um becker does have kind of a 
first of all, he defends Jim. And this is kind of the payoff for what I thought earlier of him being like, no one will listen to you because you're an ex-con. Yeah. Um, like he defends Jim. He's like, well, sure. Yeah, he went to jail, but he, he got a pardon. And that has nothing to do with how I do my work and all this stuff. But Jack Boo is not true. But, you know, what else is he going to say? Um, there was something here I didn't quite catch or understand about how it would mean getting back into uniform. And I don't know if they were threatening him with changing what he does now or if becoming a lieutenant means going back into uniform, which I don't think is the case. I was a little unclear yeah, about was... what this interchange was, but it's leading up to Becker making a little soliloquy about how once you find your niche in life, like that's a special thing. Yeah. And it's and he does a good job and he just wants to keep doing a good job because he's found his you know, he's found his niche. Yeah, I I was wondering too when I was listening to it, like just before Becker's speech, is this the thing where if you don't get promoted, you get demoted? <laughs> you know, like I'd have to watch it again and see what that was, or if that's referring to something that, if you know police stuff, would make sense. Right. Um, the thing I took away was his speech about finding his niche. He's stressed out. He sees horrible things. He has to deal with terrible people, but like he's good at his job and he likes it. Uh, at the end of the day. Um, it's very stressful that town is there, but I didn't really make any notes about, and he says some stuff, but I don't, it didn't really seem to matter. There was menace in there. Uh, yeah, I think most of it gets kind of conveyed afterwards with, uh, Dennis talking about how he's probably in there talking to him right now. And they're like, well, he's not actually on the board. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's that back and forth. Well, yeah, because our next scene is he's back at the station. Uh, Frank has finally decided to show up for work. And Dennis is like, but what about your wife? He's like, oh, that was a false alarm. Yeah. <laughs> but Dennis says that he better get used to being a sergeant. Um, everything that you said about how the town is probably telling them about him and whatnot. Um, Frank mentions like, oh, hey, by the way, you know, your friend Jim called to talk to Rudy <laughs> about this like real estate thing. And Dennis is like, Jim doesn't know, d- doesn't know Rudy. Yeah. I think Frank says like, oh, he lied to me. And Dennis says, well, he lies all the time. Right. <laughs> You're not special. But then Frank says, you know what's funny? One of the rumors about Mrs. Town with those like promising young officers included yeah. Rudy Kempner. And Dennis puts it all together in a flash. And there's a dramatic guitar riff as the two of them yeah. spring into action. He snaps his fingers and then the music takes off. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty good. And we get into our dramatic finale. Jim drives up to Rudy's house, and Rudy answers the door with a gun, handcuffs Jim. <laughs> uh, Jim's like, hey, you know, enough people have died. How do you think you're going to walk away from this? And Rudy says that no one will question an accident. Uh, so he apparently has some plan to make yeah. Jim's death look like an accident somehow. Well, one thing we know about Rudy is that he's really good at murdering people and covering it up. Right. so far, <laughs> so good at it. I do like that Rudy is probably just as stressed and just as much at his wit's end Mm -hmm. as everyone else in this. Like we haven't been really getting his story, but like he's not, he's not making smart moves anywhere in any way. And, and Jim is pointing this out. Mm -hmm. Well, he stuffs Jim into the passenger seat and they, and takes off in his squad car and they pass Dennis and Frank driving up. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are not, precision enough drivers to uh j-turn they have to stop and back up to uh turn around and chase chase rudy (laughs) so now we get our fun little car chase here 
which has an interesting yes. element. Well, okay, so this gets explained in voiceover, right? Like this yeah. is this is one of those voiceover dialogue moments. The cop car flies through. I don't remember if the intersection was controlled, like if it was like a red light or a stop sign, but the cop car goes through and uh Dennis and Frank are following, but their car is unmarked. And there is a good Samaritan. There's a gentleman <laughs> with a tr- pickup truck uh, who had been a Malibu cop <laughs> for 10 years. I wasn't a Malibu policeman for 10 years for nothing. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to allow that. Uh, and decides he's going to get involved and save the cop from the car that's chasing him. <laughs> right. So we get this wonderful chase where Dennis is trying to convey to this guy in the pickup truck that he's a police officer <laughs> trying to show him his badge. Uh, but the pickup truck eventually... I mean, he's just, like, sideswiping him. Yeah, tries to get between uh, Dennis and Rudy, at which point this is where Jim leans back, he's in the he's in the passenger side, leans back and kicks the gear shift. Mm-hmm. And every muscle in my body seizes up (laughs) i don't know what it was about that but i had such a visceral reaction to the impending crash and it wasn't that big i mean like there was like Mm -hmm. it was a three-car pileup but it wasn't uh it was like a three-car fender bender that resulted from this but oh man like i just everything was like no yeah i think my favorite bit out of all of this is (laughs) when everyone's out they pull the gun on Ed Harris, and Ed Harris surrenders right away. And Dennis just pulls his badge out and shoves it in the face of the guy driving the pickup. <laughs> like, like, come on, come on, I'm a cop. Mm-hmm. I also stressed out at the uh, kicking of the gear shift. Oh, it's like when a car goes over a speed bump and you hear the scrape. Yeah, and you're just like, ah, you physically feel it. It's one of those moments when uh, a potential financial issue yes. is <laughs> there's like physical danger and also like yeah. th- you just ruined that clutch yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's a fun little chase this this thing with the pickup is bizarre it's yeah again very out of left field uh and i was gonna say it seems like just some set piece that they're like oh we can put it in this episode but your point about yeah dennis you know shoving his badge in the guy's face does make it more relevant to the story yeah. than i thought because it's like emphasizing the difference the different things you have to do as a plainclothes officer versus being a beat cop yeah. how he does have this position but it's not always recognized thematically yeah. those things are relevant so maybe it's less random than i thought to play a little bit with like how uh if we if we were still doing takeaways that you could bring into your own fiction oh and we should yeah, all right, let's do it then. Uh, I think that this is a thing you, sh- you people should consider. This is, I don't want to say mistaken identity, but just the good, somebody with good intentions mm-hmm. messing things up and, and putting your main character in a position where they have to <laughs> deal with both that and the situation yeah. at hand, right? Like that's, because uh, this could have been just a boring scene. Yeah. You know, them chasing the cop. Uh, but I think that the, this definitely makes it a standout having this third party not understanding what's going on and being like how do we deal with both of these right now because this person you don't want to wreck you don't want to run them off the road they're Mm -hmm. they're an innocent who's just trying to help they're just dumb or ignorant of the situation (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a, it's a certain kind of irony. Yeah. The person who has incomplete information and so ends up doing the exact opposite of what the protagonist wants or needs them to do from yeah. the best of intentions. Uh, yeah, I agree. You've, you've brought me around on a scene that I was kind of shrugging about. Ah, that's what I'm here for. Um, all right, the, the culprit has been apprehended. Uh, we're back at the station. Dennis wants Jim to sign the statement. Everyone's still prickly here. And then, like, Frank is yeah. the one who lets slip that it's Jim's fault that Dennis is stuck at Sergeant. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, Chapman and Town come in. Chapman's saying that he'll handle all the PR. And it's the same thing where he's like, and you'll just issue the statement, blah, blah, blah. And Town's like, I'm not issuing a statement or whatever. He does the same. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing that I think you're going to do. I'm not going to do that. But uh, Town congratulates Dennis and says, you're a good cop, Becker. Chapman keeps trying to take the credit. That's why I put my best people on it. I like knew that they would leave no stone unturned, yeah. whatever. And we have this shot of Jim just like laughing behind Chapman's back as he desperately tries <laughs> to try take credit for this thing that he has no business taking credit for. Yeah, one of my pet peeves is he uses the line, the one bad apple doesn't spoil the, the barrel or whatever. Yeah. And that's not the phrase. The phrase is one bad apple spoils the barrel. Yeah. It's always used to say, like, oh, well, don't judge all of them by this one, you know, person. Like, no, no, no. It means that if there's one, they're probably all bad. Like, that's how I deal with apples. <laughs> like, when I bite into an apple, I'm like, ooh, that's a mealy mess. I don't think, well, the rest of these will be fine. <laughs> I'm now suspicious of the rest of them, and I should be. Again, another all-too-relevant-to-today uh, moment. Yes. So, even though uh, Frank told Jim that it's his fault that Dennis is stuck at Sergeant. Jim is yeah. happy for Dennis. Uh, he has a big smile for him. Um, and he says, how does it feel, Dennis? You're a hero. And Dennis gives him a yeah. slightly reluctant, but very true feeling smile. Like, yeah, yeah, I am a hero. This goes right into our final scene at the Beckers. There's a big party. Everyone's walking around with drinks. The monster children are nowhere in sight, which I appreciate. Yes. <laughs> and Rocky's there, and he's busting Jim's chops for not throwing parties. Like, why don't you ever do this <laughs> yes. whenever you, like, you know, whenever you solve a big case? So that's hilarious. Um, Becker is, uh, like, telling Frank that it's okay, you need to take care of your wife first or whatever, and Peggy exposes that lie. She's not yeah. going into labor. She's not due for another five weeks. Frank uh, gulps and uh, and goes to goes to see how she's doing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, I got to rely on it now. I got to get out of this somehow. This is all I know. So we're doing it. There is a champagne toast that Peggy leads. Congratulations to her husband, <laughs> Lieutenant Becker. Yeah, and we freeze frame on Dennis Becker's triumphant champagne he's got that line too we missed the the one he goes the only drawback is uh now he has to call lieutenant chapman doug and everyone laughs and laughs uh yay dennis yay dennis um yeah he did it this is interesting because this is not just a episode that features dennis this is a dennis episode mm -hmm. and i think the two episodes that this reminds me of are um, the Gabby and Gandy one. Just another Polish wedding. Yeah, uh, which was a backdoor pilot, which was an attempt to make that a show. Mm -hmm. a and the aforementioned Gear Jammers, where we get a lot of Rocky going through Rocky's life. 
but it's not a common thing to, to kind of lean on somebody who isn't the main character in a Rockford Files episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting. Right. Very well done. Yeah. Uh, and a nice, well-earned moment for them. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's nice to see every so often this, like, someone getting a good outcome. Because, I mean, it's not a downer show. But right. part of the rhythm is, you know, Jim doesn't make any money. Things don't always yeah. go the way that they want. Sometimes the guilty person goes free because there's other considerations, all that kind of stuff. So it's nice to see, like, this guy who works so hard get get a reward. Yeah. So this is the fifth season. Uh, the other episodes we've done from this season include the first Lance White episode, White on White and Nearly Perfect. Oh, yeah. I think in there we talked a little bit about how. So this is after they've won, like, a dramatic Emmy um, and kind of after their audience drop off from the first couple seasons has kind of stabilized and also after david chase has come on board and been kind of established so like this season really does feel like it's a little more experimental in terms of the kinds of stories they want to tell it's not all just you know the gym procedural story and so this is a nice like departure that's not a departure yeah we get jim we get him running a a nice little con with his his uh glasses and everything yeah yeah um he is still instrumental right because he pulls rudy out of hiding uh and makes that connection but it's not about him he's a he's a force in it and one that we as uh fans of the show he behaves how we expect Mm -hmm. we get what we would want from jim uh but it doesn't he doesn't have to be the center of it this this particular time which is great i also um like we were talking about before, it's not like Rockford Files has these arcs. They have these arcs, but they're not like the structure. They're not the plot mm-hmm. of the episodes to bring us from season one Becker to season five Becker. But this is a thing that's in the background that he would like to be a lieutenant and he stresses out about it and he doesn't do well with the exams. I think that's stuff we knew going into mm-hmm. this one. I think so, yeah. So... I think it was just kind of a nice way to do it, to to hit him with this. Like, the case itself wasn't, like, a terribly tough case, except for the social right. situations that it put, it put him in. I was going to talk about that a little bit, because I think the, the case itself, the mystery, is kind of tuned exactly for the format. Yeah. We have kind of one reveal, right? We're kind of set up to think that the chief is guilty. It turns out that he's not. But the fact that he's involved creates the social pressure that makes it a difficult case uh and once yeah. you know once rudy is revealed they just catch him right like there's no mystery yeah. there from then on and this was a movie maybe there would be another level that would complicate like implying that town did hire rudy and then they have to find something that proves that that he didn't yeah. do that something like that where you know there would be a little more another layer to what's actually happening but in this format the social pressure is what makes it dramatic and it's just enough. It's not a boring mystery. You want to find out what happened. Yeah. But yeah, the, the tension comes from the status relationship, not from the mystery of the plot. Uh, I do have one regret for this episode, mm. uh, and that is the character of uh, Town, Mrs. Town, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the body. Eileen. Eileen, that's it. Eileen Town. Uh, I feel like this episode relies on the fact that she's promiscuous to let us off the hook about certain things right like yeah a woman has been beaten to death and the episode ends with us happy for dennis and i'm happy for dennis Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
but uh I, I do think that like the idea that she was promiscuous sort of lets this murder be what it is. Well, she played with fire, right? And that's not good. I wouldn't say that it is, that it is a victim blaming situation. No, but it is in a context where it kind of yeah is is shifting the moral weight away from the murder itself. Yeah, and kind of more to like, oh well, what was she up to? And like that's yeah. where we're concerned. And I think like one of the shames of it is that I kind of like this character here. Here's this woman that people were describing as average middle age. There's mm-hmm. nothing special about her, uh, was the description. And she was using her position uh, to to get these men, like the, the either the men that were um, that she was the parole officer for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she had some sort of power over them. And then uh, when they had the parties for the up-and-coming young cops, mm-hmm. again, she had some power over them because she was uh, the wife of the deputy police chief. And and then, like, that whole undercurrent, that's all good stuff. Like, that's all interesting stuff. This is a, a, an interesting web that is being laid. And the idea that Town uh, knew about it but doesn't want to talk about it is great. Or like kind of knows about it, but isn't willing to confirm anything he suspects. And is like, yeah, is he like live and let live or are they in some kind of arrangement or somebody shut down those parties? Right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a whole story there. Yeah. And I, and I think that's great. Uh, so like, like I said, I you know I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's it's a very interesting thing, but also yeah, it kind of sucks that yeah. the, that is the the reaction that it can provoke in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely something to keep in consideration of like what are the elements of the character that make them compelling? What are the elements that are supposed to get you on their side, and what are the elements that are supposed to yeah. distance you from them? It's kind of an element that's like, you don't need to care about her so much because she was, like you said, she was playing with fire. Like, I don't necessarily agree with that assessment, but that is kind of a bit of the tone. It's a thing that I picked up. Okay, so uh, for the uh, listeners that may or may not know, for years, I transcribed uh, television shows. That was a a job that I had where I had to write down uh, everything that anyone said <laughs> and they aren't good television shows they weren't the rockford files they were quite often reality tv they were horrible uh but there were these sets of shows that i would do that were about either people escaping death like uh i you know i survived an animal attack or you know that kind of thing where they interviewed them and they talked about them uh and they talked about the attack and in those shows they did everything they could to bring you on board and identify with these people who have been attacked by the animals and mm-hmm. survive. And then there's other shows that were like a thousand ways to die, uh, where the people didn't survive. And they just want to tell you about these weird, gruesome ways that people died. And if you ever get to see one of these shows, pay attention to how relentless they are about how much every single person in these shows that dies deserves to mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. If doesn't matter they need to distance you from it because you're not going to tune into a show about people dying if you're going to identify with the people who have died right and it is so just there that Mm -hmm. is just the tool that gets used and uh 
it becomes really evident when you watch one of these shows about people surviving when a group of them have survived, but one or out of the group doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the story about the one out of the group is always like, you know, that person, first person that dies in a horror movie, right? They've committed some kind of sin or yeah, done something that's socially unacceptable. Right. And this is just, they're talking about an actual person who had an actual life who, you know, was in the same bad situation as everyone else who just happened to be unlucky about it. So it's just this natural way that uh, we deal with death and whatnot. I don't know why I'm using the end of this wonderful episode. (laughs) I think it's worth pointing out because it's so easy to let the framing of a character just kind of slip by. So like, you know, that's that's part of uh, analysis and criticism, right? Like not only what happened, but what are the tools, you know, what tools do we need to build up in order to accurately or may not accurately, but in order to assess not just the what, but also the how. Yeah. How was this episode constructed? That is one element of how it was constructed, is how this murder victim was framed. But that said, not to end on a downer, um, it's a it's a great episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of really good things. I just love how at every moment in this episode, everybody... From those first two cops that show up at the parking lot Mm -hmm. who are like, he says, there's a bad smell. And he has to say that twice to get them to open it. Everyone's like, oh, no. Yeah, like this is going to be bad. (laughs) And it just everyone is doesn't want to be. So in that beginning opening montage, when we get the uh, that's your hot potato Mm -hmm. is such a good line for it is just, yep, you got to deal with it. Yeah, nobody wants to touch this, but it's yours now. And that's, it's funny because it's like Chapman is basically giving it to Becker as like a punishment, right? Like, yeah, this, yeah. this case is going to suck. Here you go, Dennis. Uh, yeah. Part of their eternal uh, struggle. In this case, it ends up biting him because Dennis makes lieutenant. So good work, Chapman. Um, and anyone who's who's into the into the show and likes Dennis, you know, this. if you haven't seen this episode, yeah. it's a, high, a highlight. It's a great joe santos star turn um we get to see him not just yeah. be over the top but also very interior with the character yeah uh which is great and we get to see peggy and she's great doesn't really do a lot plot wise but just that feeling of dennis's life outside of being a cop is one that i appreciate and i think the actress actress is really great in that role so uh yeah yeah definitely uh going down as a as a as a classic yeah i recommend all right. Well, even though uh, poor Jim had absolutely no chance of getting paid for anything. Yeah, he's out out bribery money, out one windshield wiper, mm-hmm. and maybe some laundry, because that got thrown around a bit. But uh, I feel like we've earned our $200 for this day. So I agree. We've gotten some great suggestions recently about uh, episodes to look at, so we are queuing up our next couple watches. If you have anything that you would like to hear us talk about that we have not already gone over, uh, let us know. You can get in touch with us through our website at 200aday.fireside.fm. Our patrons can get a hold of us through Patreon at patreon.com slash 200aday. Uh, and you can tweet at us at 200pod. We'll, we'll get better about being on Twitter with that. Oh, yeah. I have been derelict in checking the account. As have I. One of my, one of my resolutions uh, for the new year is to yeah be more on top of the twitter account so hit us up there as well and with that farewell but not goodbye or we will be 
back next time with another episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs>